0: From RunAsRadio.com, you're listening to Run As Radio, the internet audio talk show for IT professionals with Richard Campbell. This is Brandon Wen announcing show number 778, the new cybersecurity with guest Troy Hunt, recorded Monday, May 10th, 2021. Run As Radio is produced each week by Sound Thoughts LLC. For more information, visit SoundThoughtsLLC.com. You can follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash run Thank you, Brandon. This is Richard Campbell. Thanks for listening to run as radio. Bringing back my friend, Troy Hunt, uh, Microsoft MVP and RD, a plural site author and a well-known internet security specialist. And once upon a time, he spent his time traveling around the world and doing workshops and things, but we haven't done any of that for the past year. How are you, my friend? <laughs> oh, man, we're into once upon a time territory already. Yeah, yeah. I, um, I'm, I'm not jet-lagged,
1: I'll tell you that much.
0: <laughs> you know, I've been telling the joke I've been jet-lagged since 2001, literally for 20 years. Yeah, and then yeah. three months into being home for the longest stretch in 25 years, you know, the Fitbit data showed my sleep quality jumped up 20%. You know, mm. I used to be perfectly happy scoring 60s and 70s, and suddenly I'm scoring 80s and 90s. And when I looked at that number, I went, oh, no. Like, that's something I'm going to miss. Like, when the world gets back and running and we start traveling again, if those numbers go back down, I am going to know the difference. I was
1: just looking at my um – um my Apple activity, and today I'm going to hit 400 days straight of closing all my rings every single day. (laughs) And (laughs) uh, and I don't, you know what, I don't actually want that to go away. As as much as I think we all miss aspects of the the travel and everything, I will be very happy, uh, purely selfishly, if it never returns to
0: normal as normal was. Yeah. You know, I I, I remember January 2020, still in the before times, looking at what was probably going to be, 250,000 miles flown in the year, mm. three or four trips to the Southern Hemisphere and and going, wow, this is a lot. Okay. And now I'm like, I can't even conceive of it. Like, I, I can't imagine. Isn't it crazy? Yeah. Yeah. Hey, I got to read a comment off of a previous show, uh, which wasn't you as the guest. It was actually Daniel Peasants. This is from June of 2020. Uh, one of the many shows I did around, you know, thinking in terms of the pandemic. And one of them was talking about ubiquity networking, which is what Daniel and I talked about. This is from show 695. And we got a few comments on this show. This one comes from Devin global who said so often with it professionals, the cobbler's children have no shoes <laughs> working with others over various video calls as one does in 2020. I'm surprised at how bad other people's services are. In my experience quality gear is a force multiplier for poor connections most residential services of low quality He's talking about ISPs and nowhere near the advertised speeds. I've got two households on 25.5 rural WISP. Oh, man. <laughs> and they have fewer problems than I see from connections with 20 times that bandwidth. And I owe that to my quality provider and a suite of Unify gear. Anybody who works remote owes themselves to get off consumer grade equipment. Doesn't have ubiquity. But they do seem to be the sweet spot and it's probably worth it for an organization to play some decent gear, which is one of the things we talked about was, is it in IT's interest to improve these home setups so that their employees are more productive uh, and to maintain satisfaction? Sensible words.
1: Yeah. Uh, mind you, you're, you're saying this just as I'm tr- troubleshooting the nastiest possible problems I could
0: imagine with my ubiquity network. <laughs> so. <laughs> Uh, and you're not alone. I've talked to a few folks. You know, I'm really careful about taking ubiquity upgrades these days. I turn that all off. I'm on an older version right now that's remarkably reliable. They seem to be a little cavalier with updates these days.
1: Well, this is what the commentary's been. But my problem is, I've got so much IoT stuff in the house. Mm-hmm. I've got 140 something IP addresses at the moment, <laughs> and the 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 shellys, right? So the yeah. shellys are these little relays, same as a, a size of, a, of an Oreo. I love them, and. Um, the Oreos? Yeah. Or the I've Shelleys. Got, I've got a bunch of Shelleys myself, right? <laughs> well, you can probably communicate with yours better than I can communicate with mine because for some reason, a, a bunch of them were just no longer accessible via yeah. Home Assistant, which is my automation system of choice, uh, which is which was a real pain up until about a week ago because a failure was a hard failure. If you're turning on a scene and it was trying to communicate to a Shelly and the Shelly wasn't there then everything would just stop. It's like, okay, scene is dead. All the things that were non shelly would die as well. And and then Home Assistant pushed an update that fixed that, which is great. So now all my lights that are IoT enabled and they're turning off in the light, they're fine. But the shellys just aren't working. And what's super, super weird, maybe you have the answer for this, actually, is I from my PC, I can go through and I can ping every single one of the shellys. I can access the web interface. I go to my laptop, my iPhone, my iPad, and I can't connect to them. And there hmm. are no ARP table entries for them on those machines. Yeah. So, for some reason, like my ARP table is getting populated on some machines, but not on other machines.
0: And I would say that ubiquity. I've heard a bunch of folks talking in the terms of Ubiquiti's set of updates that did damage this way. Uh, I have had more success with Shelly staying off their cloud product entirely and going everything local. And you do yeah. have the option to go MQTT direct to the Shelly rather than through their interface too.
1: You know that's that's where I started and then then I was using uh, I was using one of the hacks integration so a non uh, a, a non standard native part of the framework in order to integrate Shelly, and then they pushed out a a native integration. I was like, oh, this is really cool because then I can access every device by name, et cetera. But the the problem is without any sort of a message queue, if it's not contactable, it's just like, well, we tried, failed, (laughs) and that's it, It, it's over. So I think my job today... Uh, as we talk about blowing all our time doing just pointless <laughs> stuff. <laughs> My job today is to take about 30-odd Shelleys and just roll them all over to MQTT and hope yeah. that
0: fixes the problem. I would also argue this. Go revert to a better version of Ubiquity too, before you do anything. Because I think it's their driver that's getting stingy with ARP table plans and things like that. Because people are also complaining about Ubiquity devices overflowing their memories, right? So, this might be conservatism on their part. See, the, the, the problem is which… Yeah, but but which version
1: is it? Because I can't correlate the problems with the Shelleys to any particular. version yeah so uh instead i've gone yolo let's roll forward (laughs) and want a release candidate uh but in in fact like i think ubiquity's got its faults and we haven't even gotten into the data breach side of ubiquity yet yet. but uh where they have been really good is i've got a contact there who's been great at actually helping troubleshoot problems so i'm just like sending them support files and going just tell me what to do (laughs) yeah (laughs) and they've been pretty good with that so my my hope is at any moment now they'll come back and go oh you got to toggle the other setting and it will it'll come
0: good but that does seem to be the magic with them when you poke around long enough. It's like there's a checkbox here that says something in the double negative that you don't understand, but when you check it, the world gets better for you.
1: But it, isn't it interesting we sort of got onto this topic because you are talking about uh, basically having better equipment internally within your own home network yeah. where you had more control and power and everything. But, like, this is what happens. <laughs> Every time we go down this route of saying, I want something fancier where I can do more stuff. It's like, well, you, you know, we're also going to take on other risks yeah. that you wouldn't uh, the have responsibilities. had if you just pulled that
0: Linksys out. Yeah, that WRT54G, yeah. once you turned it on, you yeah. never touched it again. And so, Devin, I think we've rescinded your whole idea. So, I'll send you a run as radio <laughs> mug anyway. So, thanks so much for commenting. And by the way, if you'd like a Run As Radio mug, write a comment on the website at runasradio.com or on Facebook or LinkedIn, where I publish every show. And if you comment there and I read on the show, I'll send you a mug. Uh, We could easily do a home assistant show, you and I, because it is a remarkable tool for capturing your attention.
1: We we should one day, actually, because it it, it is a fascinating thing. And I I almost feel like it's like an addiction. Without a doubt. I know I probably shouldn't be doing this, but I can't help myself. So here's here's how messed up and weird it got without turning this into the home assistant show. I wanted, this seems to be the simplest thing, I wanted for the longest time to be able to automate my air conditioning because we're in a, a spot here, particularly this time of year, we're about to go into winter. We still need it in the evening to get to sleep but by 2 a.m i really need it off or i'll be sitting here like i'm now talking to you in my office and i'm on a call and i'm getting hot like what do i do but my old system it's a 14 year old daikon system there there is no native iot integration to it daikon's got stuff that works with newer gear there's no infrared so you can't go down the sensibo route or anything like that so my eventual solution was i got a switch bot (laughs) <laughs> which is a, a, sort of the size of a little matchbox, and you can over Bluetooth instruct it to extend an arm. There's literally a mechanical arm that comes out to push a button. It's like a finger, so right? So then, literally just a it's, little, it's like a little finger, finger yeah. Yeah. So I, I get my Vernier calipers out and I measure out the size of the unit, and then I go into Fusion Three Hundred and Sixty, and I have to I have to learn how to do CAD. Uh, and then I 3D print multiple models until I get the right model that fits over the air conditioning unit, holds the sensor bow. And now when I want to turn on my aircon, I'm pushing a little button. I've got a button on my stream deck here. I push it and the little arm extends and it pushes the
0: button and turns the air conditioning on. I and I think it's the coolest it. thing in the world. And, be, and more, way more interesting to just buying a new AC system too. <laughs> yeah, well, it was also cheaper.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so there's that too. I'm also I, like, impressed I, I, I that you've actually
0: filter. 3D printed something that's useful for you rather it, than just Yoda's head. I know. Head.
1: <laughs> <Right>. I know. <laughs> and, and, and I literally have a Yoda's head sitting there on the shelf <laughs> along with all the other crap, which I never did anything with. So, in in all seriousness, this is the first ever useful thing that I have 3D printed. I love it. But I I figure this is maybe a good investment in time because I'm sure there'll be many other things in the future. And now that I'm okay, figuring out how to use vernier calipers isn't too hard. But now that I've got the basics of Fusion 360 down and I can actually turn some physical model into a
0: digital model and then back into a physical model, <laughs> I think that's a good skill to have. Yeah, no question. And just that with that thinking of I can make a little thing that will mm-hmm. help me in one respect or another. It's another approach to, to tackling this. Totally. Uh, yeah, it's another show. It's a great show. We'll do that one of these days. I really do want to talk about Hafnium because we haven't – I've done a couple of shows on it. Uh, because, you know, I, lots of folks that run Exchange to this day, and even folks that are mostly in Office 365, but had like that last hybrid server left mm. behind for maintenance parts. And the half DM exploits were a big deal. Uh, and I, that was fine. I, you know, I could talk to Exchange folks about all of that. But when the FBI got involved, I thought, I need to talk to Troy because th- this is a, this is kind of unprecedented territory that, that, a U.S. agency is fixing companies' exploited servers. Hmm. Mm, wow, isn't it? That's wild. What world are it's, we living um, in?
1: it, it, it is. <laughs> there's a little bit of me that it almost feels like halfman was like the best 0 three six five advertisement Microsoft could have come up with. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty <laughs> I'm with you. I'm pretty sure that wasn't the. Uh, that I don't think they sat around the boardroom and came up with that one. Put it that way. <laughs> um, but the FBI thing is, is interesting on, on many, many levels. I mean, of course, many people sort of raise the whole legality question, but they got their, you know, they did their due diligence, got their court orders and things like that. Right. But you kind of look at it and go, well, all right, I'm by no means a legal expert on any of this. But if you were to ask the question of, uh, d- does this make things better? You know, does it make the world safer? Does it improve data privacy and protect organizations better? I was like,
0: well, yeah, I, I, I struggle to think of a downside, actually. Sure. And I and immediately thought back. Back to when the fbi did the botnet stuff which i i looked it up what goes all the way back to like 2011 when they were rolling through uh, rolling up core flood and i mean not only went after the criminals that created those botnets but then used their backbone to patch consumer machines to debotnet them
1: and i, I think when you look at which entities out there are in a good position to do this i mean mm-hmm. u.s government spends billions of dollars a year on on cyber like they've, right. they've got some good people right yeah. <laughs> good people some good technology they are in a better position than than probably just about anyone uh in order to do this sort of stuff so is is this is this necessarily a bad idea i actually, I actually think it's a pretty cool idea i think it would be a lot more interesting if we started seeing private enterprise do this. That would be an interesting discussion, wouldn't it? It's like, you know, some, some uh, enterprising cybercore is like, yep, we're just going to break in through your, through your vulnerabilities and patch your things and, and leave you a, a thank you note on the kitchen bench on the way out.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I appreciate and, and I pull, I'll i include the link in the show notes for the FBI testimony uh, from 2014 about taking down the botnets and, the, and, you know, they're basically testifying to the Senate about what they did, uh, because it, I, there's a strong case for it. This is outside of the FBI's jurisdiction. The, a, a, a the FBI is supposed to be an organization that works within the U S only, mm-hmm. uh, and uh and so you could work on behalf of citizens but they went much more broadly than this i mean without a doubt there were crimes being caused in the u.s by these botnets but they didn't reside in the u.s and many of the machines they patched weren't residing in the u.s either um, but and they they went through the ritual at least of talking of engaging with Europol. And talking to judges and, and sort of getting yep. clearance. But I think we all have a creepiness a factor to this. That we're – you know, there's a reason our hair is standing up the back of our neck.
1: I, I think that that's a, a gut reaction. and part because I – I find – so, I have interesting experiences because, obviously, you know we're all exposed to the masses out there and, and mm-hmm. their views of law enforcement agencies. But I've also been spending time with the likes of the FBI on, on some projects recently. And, and what I find is really, really interesting is that there's often so much distrust and disdain for government and law enforcement. And some of it's warranted, too. I mean, a, a lot of this, I'm sure, dates back to Snowden sort of disclosures, etc. But the thing that always fascinates me is every time I have anything to do with any of these agencies, everyone there, they're so nice. Like It's funny. I've said this before and people mm-hmm. are like, yeah, they're always nice to you in the beginning. You know, like they, want, <laughs> they want to be nice to you. But in all honesty, like every experience has been very positive insofar as these agencies are full of... Talented people. Fairly, well, yeah, I was going to say normal people, and I was like, no, actually, they're really smart. So, I think talent is actually a good explanation, yeah. a good description. Very talented people who are genuinely passionate about uh, protecting, in, in this case, uh, our online things, or in the broader case of, of law enforcement. Uh, mm mm-hmm interested in protecting us and they're working there at a fraction of what they would earn going into private enterprise where the big bucks would be yeah and without exception every single one of these agencies and and i've seen a lot around the world and in very different parts of the world now as well are full of people who you want to go and have a beer with you know and, and have a chat with and i've done this in many places and it's just been really really interesting to sort of see what these folks are up to there's um there's 15 governments on on have i been pwned now who get Free and, and open access to all their domain searches, and many of them, I've met uh, in person, and again, like the, they've just always been super interesting, nice people looking for clever ways to make the world better. And I would really love us to have a more a more open view of at least the intentions of these people.
0: Sure, I also think that that the the strong that that strong government is incompetent sentiment is very much an American thing, too. I mean, you're Australian, I'm Canadian, and while I certainly have criticisms of my government, I don't presume them to be incompetent. They're filled with talented people. (laughs) I insist on them being better, but, uh, you know, the fact that they're labeled government doesn't make them incompetent. I think
1: it's a a bit of a national pastime everywhere to think your government's full of idiots. Mm. Um, And and look, I think sometimes that that's – there's some merit <laughs>
0: in that. Um. Well, they, it's certainly at the politician levels, like politicians and, and babies' diapers need to be changed on a regular basis and for the same reason. <laughs> uh, you know, I I get that. The, the one thing that uh, I, I had my penny
1: drop a few moments or a few months, a few years ago when I when I went to Congress where the, the politicians that uh, that you're exposed to there or, or the, the, the folks who are literally making the laws, the, the thing that I really – uh, really realized in speaking to them is that when I was sitting there being asked questions about cyber, it was by people who then had to go into another hearing uh, and ask questions about the opioid epidemic, and then right. they'd go into another hearing and have to ask questions about I don't know, like oil production in Siberia. Who knows? So these are folks that have to have a very, very, very broad understanding, and, and the end result is is that they're usually not deep subject matter experts in any no. one topic. However, they have staffers behind them who are enormously intelligent and switched mm-hmm. on. And, and we are a little bit prone to uh, judge politicians by what they say, which is very understandable, which
0: may not necessarily be reflective of, of what's actually happening behind the scenes. True. Yeah, I can't argue with that. And, Troy, I'm going to interrupt for one moment for this very important message. This episode of Run As is brought to you by Sequel Intersection back at the Swan Hotel in Orlando – June 6th to 10th. You've heard the SQL q and shows we publish on run as twice a year from SQL Intersection. That is a microcosm of the five days of awesome learning available to you from the real world consultants and members of the SQL Server team that speak at the show. Learn proven problem solving techniques and technologies you can implement immediately as well as insight into the future of SQL Server. Get answers to performance monitoring, troubleshooting, designing for scale and performance, working in the cloud, and exploring all the new features of the latest version of SQL Server. And if you still have questions by the end of the week, join the closing session of SQL Intersection and be part of the SQL Q&A show on Run As Radio. SQL Intersection is at the Walt Disney World Swan and Dolphin Resort in Orlando, Florida, June 6th to 10th. Use code RUNAS to get a discount on your registration at SQLIntersection.com, and I'll see you there and we're back it's run as radio i'm richard campbell that's my friend troy hunt Uh, we're trying to talk about how government's not as incompetent as we think it is or you know are leaning towards and the fact that then you throw in the politics side of any decision has to be done as a compromise with a larger group of people each with their own motivations you know it's not a wonder that that we run into this problem and at the same time you have this Issue of a tremendous number of computers on the internet in varying degrees of security, a group, uh, a diverse group of black hats out there who are far more focused these days. When we don't talk about casual, you know, jokey kind of worms from the 2000s you know, the slammers and things. These days, it's ransomware. It's, you know, real exploits. I, in some ways, I feel like Hafnim was kind of unique because while they hacked a lot of machines, they didn't actually do a lot of harm, which seems remarkable. Like, they were just putting back doors in. They didn't have a plan.
1: I think it would be interesting to, to get a... A view of what was exfiltrated from there. Yeah, so, uh, and of course we're all sort of going on on what we read in the press and, mm-hmm. and what we have seen released by the likes of FBI. But what data was exfiltrated? Because once we start to get into mailboxes, it's like, okay, what could you be? In your, or what could be in your mail? Well, that's a pretty broad topic. Uh, <laughs> you know, where do you begin with that one?
0: And in some respect, I, I also think we're at an interesting time in 2021 where we're simply naming names. Once upon a time, we talked. You know, sort of opaquely about state actors. Mm. We don't do that anymore. This this exploit seems to be the Chinese government, by all evidence that's been presented so far, uh, you know, we're maybe working at arm's length, but still. And maybe the broad exploit of exchange like this was cover. So it wasn't easy to figure out what mailboxes they were after.
1: I, I think just the observation about naming names now—that mm-hmm. uh, the fact that there is such public retribution—because, of course, just before Hafnia was the whole solo thing—and yep. and, and we have actually seen action against Russia now as well, which mm-hmm. I, I think is is particularly fascinating. That uh, that we're seeing literally the the president of the United States stand up and go, "Yep, it was the Russians," and we're going to put a bunch of sanctions in place because of this.
0: And as we're recording this, there's the pipeline, uh, the Colonial Pipeline hack going on, a ransomware attack. Like, we're we're recording this in in the beginning of May. Admittedly, it'll publish a month later, but we don't know all the details of that. But that is an infrastructure attack that appears to be Russian as well. Um, that represents like half of the natural gas flowing around the United States. It's extraordinary. The the really interesting one about what what are about all the other ones that are happening at the moment that we don't even know about, Yeah, that we might never know about. They're quietly, you know, how many ransomwares just pay off? Because ransomware is growing for a reason. It's clearly a successful enterprise. What I'm finding with with ransomware is,
1: first of all, this goes back to the 80s, right? I think a lot of people think this is a very recent thing. All the way back to things like the AIDS Virus slash Trojan back in the eighties, where you you literally had to send off a check to Panama, (laughs) you know, (laughs) like in the mail, and I, I guess they like sent you back a floppy with the key or something like that. So it's it's not new, but where we saw a lot of uptick a few years ago, it was all around availability. It's like let's encrypt your things. It's easy just to encrypt things locally, and there'll be a key somewhere, a private key somewhere, and you can buy that key. And that was always an attack against availability. But what we've seen. Happening a lot more, particularly over the last couple of years, is attacks on confidentiality as well. And, and the right. big one that comes to mind, because this is the worst possible thing I can think of, until something else comes along that's even worse, is that uh, Finnish psychotherapy the vast, service. The vast that got exploit. Weird. Yeah. That's the one, right. Yeah. Where not only did they say we're encrypting your files, we'd like some Bitcoin now, please, uh, but also we have taken a copy of the psychotherapy notes. And we are now going to ransom individuals. I was reading a piece only a couple of days ago about someone who was in that and just reading that firsthand experience. Imagine your psychotherapy notes yeah. where some unknown person on the internet is going, we're just going to dump this publicly unless you give us BTC.
0: Well, uh, our friend, Sammy Lojo, uh, I talked to him on that show, uh, for, on a show on the subject and he, because he was both a security expert trying to mitigate it and a victim because he had gone to to the Vastmo facility uh, it it is astonishing and it's also interesting that it, you know the the company pushed back on the ransomware the hacker mm. and then they went to indivi- they went after the individuals and then it seemed like the black hat community itself said that's too much. Like there, there apparently is a limit to black hat behavior too. Just, I think to
1: some of it. And, and I guess what we're recognizing here is that there are different tolerances. It was a little bit like that old argument of, uh, of, of the Silk Road where it's like, okay, the Silk mm-hmm. Road, there was a lot of argument there about whether they should sell fentanyl or not. Uh, you know, right. it's like, hey, cocaine, cool. Um, you know, heroin, yeah, probably a right. fentanyl. Oh, that's pretty heavy-duty stuff. Ah. And of course, there's there's services that popped up, and they're like, yeah, YOLO. Everyone gets to be libertarian and decide what they want to do. Right. Uh, and other services that felt they should be a bit responsible. And I think what we're seeing here with the ransomware stuff is that there are different sensitivities around this, but there's always going to be
0: those who have no scruples whatsoever. Right. And and that's sort of unavoidable in this in this world. In that in that sense. Mm. Uh, but it, it also brings back now this question then of, does it do are we expecting all, every IT person to get up to speed to be able to resist all of this? Or should we have a set of experts who are who are mitigating? like the, the, this FBI move, like would it make it happier if it was a UN entity speaking of competent government?
1: Well, I I would argue that it's probably got to be a bit of everything. I I think usually in these situations, there's not sort of one clear answer to the exclusion of all else. Uh, Mm -hmm. So in in terms of the IT pros with the competency, we we do usually trace these things back to something that has gone wrong somewhere. Uh, Something didn't get patched. Something got left open. Like there was a human error at some point. Uh, Not making those errors – would be good <laughs> now of course a little bit simpler said than done at times of course but you know, do we need something in addition to that such as the action by the fbi or if there needs to be some sort of u.n body yeah i, I think that that sounds like a very complementary strategy
0: mm-hmm. yeah that we, that we could get into if nothing else an endorsement in a, in a larger stage than just a local american court or federal court to have uh, a, a a more broader multiple uh, co- countries have signed on to this and we endorse this maneuver um is an interesting idea it of course would move slower i mean part of managing these exploits is timeliness
1: yeah well obviously the uh, the intention of of uh, of attackers is to try and make the most of these exploits whilst they exist right now yeah even if we go back and um and we look at Previous incidents in the past. Uh, look at something like WannaCry, right? Now there was a long lead time between the uh, Eternal Blue exploit um, being disclosed. I, th- I think from from memory that the disclosure of that was like two months after Microsoft had already pushed the patch. Yet somehow we go months without people taking patches and then the thing's still getting exploited. Now, right. clearly, once, once WannaCry really started to hit, that was like, okay, well, how quickly can we patch our things to avoid this? And those exploiting it were like, well, how quickly can we exploit this before people patch their things?
0: And certainly we saw that with Hafnium too, that the, the, all these web shells are thrown in and then other less sophisticated hackers were taking advantage of the web shells. So, and that kind of I partly, I think, justified the FBI's behavior was if we close these now, mm. you know, we'll be decreasing the uh, uh, total attack surface. I mean, we're still seeing articles about millions of machines are still vulnerable to water cry. Like, lots of things still haven't been patched. Which is fascinating, isn't it? Because mm-hmm. you kind of wonder what they are and how
1: they still manage to live. Okay, if it's, if it's air-gapped, I mean, let's – I think the example that came up a lot around WannaCry, uh, particularly when the NHS got hit so hard in the UK, it's like, well, mm-hmm. what about the MRI machine? You know, like, the MRI machine literally has to come into the building through a crane via the roof. Right. Uh, you know, like, upgrading that is probably non-trivial. But if it's air-gapped, does it matter? Well, does it matter
0: as much? Yeah, yeah. You know, and and you see the same thing with things like SMB1 and so forth. It's like if I'm Mm. not exposed to the internet, what's my risk here? Yeah, Uh, yeah, does it matter as much? Yeah, and and I think that's always a balancing act for all of those things, certainly in terms of priorities. But we just think, you know, I I totally, as soon as I saw what was happening in Hafnium, my immediate thought was small business server. You know, Microsoft made these early, before the cloud, these versions of Exchange and and SQL Server and so forth for a small business. Mm. So, it's a single standalone machine with a bunch of different services running it at a small company that may or may not have a paid IT person at all. Mm -hmm. And by the way, they've discontinued that product. So, it's an old version of Exchange, which certainly still has vulnerabilities and wasn't even in the patch window. So, you know, what's the solution there? So that does well. I mean, is the solution that we go back to the whole
1: principle here of, of pushing things more towards uh, towards a SaaS model? I mean, mm-hmm. that those folks who are on 0365, it's like well,
0: well, you, and you've come if, full circle now, Troy. Which is yeah, this is actually a remarkable sales tactic for own, don't own this stuff. Uh, and and overall, a, a story arc of how much response, you know, someday there's going to be a GDPR in North America and Australia as well, like some kind of set of rights and responsibilities for organizations to own security licenses uh, or, you know, to be responsible for exposure to the Internet. And as those uh, responsibilities increase, the case for outsource that is going to grow.
1: I think there's there's so many good arguments we made for it, and, and particularly you know how we sort of went through that period, and people were like, "Should we move to the cloud?" And I almost want to air quote "move to the cloud" here, hmm. as though it was a thing that you yeah. just got up and did one day, and and we kind of went through this this idea of or came to this realization: look, it's it's hybrid, and things move gradually. I kind of feel like that the needle is just well and truly over there. Yeah, like just push it push a bunch of stuff there. I think there's just less and less stuff every day that you can have a valid justification for running locally. I mean, the Haftian stuff uh, is obviously the, the big one there. Even just recently, there's some issues around Ghost. And if you're uh, the, the blogging platform I run on, uh, right. if you're running your own self-managed Ghost, you, you really need to go and patch that stuff. If you're running on
0: Ghost Pro, don't worry, they've done it already. You can just go about your day. Well, and they, and to your point – Uh, Tony Redman, when I did the show on the Hafnium Exploits, one of his main issues was Microsoft has never finished the tooling to allow us to fully retire on-premises exchange. You're trapped in a forever hybrid mode. Now, if that Mm. sole remaining machine for administration is sitting behind a VPN or is otherwise protected, you weren't vulnerable to Hafnium. But if you didn't clean those bits up, that bit of subtlety – even though you had moved to O365, you were still exposed. And, uh, and part of that was just yeah. tooling that Microsoft hadn't provided. So, I mean, admittedly, Tony Redmond is literally the grumpy old man of exchange. And so, of course, he's going <laughs> to, he's going to pick the grumpy. He, and he would agree with me. I think at some point we, we both said, I think we're the grumpy old men of exchange. Um, it's not just you, right? It's, it is that we, are leaving things behind and leaving exposures uh, via the vendors we trust too. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Well, maybe this is again just part of the transition, and then we'll be doing this in like five years from now. So like, remember when we still had some stuff in both places. <laughs> you know, <now> it's, <laughs> but sh- surely, surely that is a that is a matter of time. I, I think the use cases for, and this is not just about on-prem. I mean, if we go back to the Ghost Pro example, right. I don't think most people running Ghost as a standalone product are running it on a desk or the machine under the desk like they're running it on a cloud service somewhere they're running it on their own vps like I, I, yeah
0: yeah i mean it May- helps us if we get to a place where there's a major exploit for a SaaS product because uh, that's that's going to be a scary day yeah,
1: yeah, and this has been the concern around things like, well, what if, uh, what if someone can break out of a hypervisor? You know, you're running yep. on AWS, and then you can break out of that hypervisor, and then suddenly you're up, up and into other people's VMs and things. And I mean, if ever we got to something serious at that scale, it's like <laughs> then, then, the, then the grumpy old folks who are still running their on-prem exchange would be like, "Yeah, hey, I told you so." <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: They've forgotten about Hafnium by that time, but yeah, you know, that's I think was what everybody was so anxious about with Meltdown Inspector is that that poked to the idea that although i don't think there was any manifestations of this that there was vulnerability in the microcode for performance reasons inside of these cpus that could potentially leak between virtual entities um it never happened in a while but once it was visible they mm-hmm. literally crippled all these cpus like 20% of your performance went away to protect this thing while mm-hmm. they've gone on to do better fixes o- over time but you know, when I think about what keeps Scott Guthrie awake at night, that's it. Is it wouldn't be Microsoft's fault. The hardware they're using has a microcode exploit that turns into a trans VM VM exploit, and you now have people deliberately hosting multiple entities across all these machines to try and get at other machines like that. That is a weird, weird world, and uh, and a and a frightening one. I I hope it doesn't happen. It's not impossible, but it is. Uh, it, it does speak to the, the level of attacks we're thinking about today.
1: Well, it certainly does make the, the industry appealing for us. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I'm not worried about your job security, friend. Like, I think you're this fine.
1: Is, this is the thing, right? Like, I just get to the point with this where I'm like, well, you know, at least there's a good industry to be in. It's like everything else is screwed, but at least there's a good industry to be in. That's, yeah. uh, there, there, look, there's a big part of me that wants to make everything perfect and no longer have problems, but I think that would be doing me out of a job as well.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think that's true, Troy. I think we could knock down as many of these things as we can and, and, and keep moving forward. I don't need uh, – I'm perfectly happy to have law enforcement reach into like the kind of ransomware attackers that go after hospitals during a pandemic. Like more of those people need to be in jail. This is a crime, should be a crime, should continue to be prosecuted. And I really hope we get to a place where ransomware dies because it's no longer profitable.
1: I think that's the only thing that's going to kill it too. It's, it's not like, hey, if you do ransomware, you're going to go to jail. Like that's that's obviously not going to work. But how do we change the ROI? Yeah, where I, I don't know that we can we can change the the R bit, but I, I think the investment required in order to execute it, if right. we can push
0: that high enough to make it financially infeasible, then that has a real impact. Yeah, if you're ta- if you as a black hat take a risk by executing a ransomware attack and don't get rewarded, can you know at, at all? Yeah, it'll die on its own. We just, but that represents a hardening of an awful lot of infrastructure. And mm-hmm. uh, and folks like these FBI cases, this sort of modern cybersecurity approach to say, as these exploits roll out, we roll them up.
1: Well, I guess time will tell on that. Um, I, I kind of like your idea before about the, you know, effectively like a UN body or something. But, you know, even I, I think that the thing that I really struggle with every time we talk about doing something online that is backed by a nation state or by the collective nation states, mm-hmm. y- you still end up with it, – like, it, it, it's inescapable that, well, you know, China is probably going to do things differently and yeah. Egypt and Iran. And yet, we're all online on – I was going to say on the same internet, China not so much, but <laughs> on what's... much of the same internet. Yeah. And yet, we have this kind of vulcanization where th- th- this idea of local laws and local enforcement and local penalties – Uh, I gave an example of someone yesterday. It's like, look, that works fine if we're talking about speeding tickets or something because you literally have to be on the road driving around. But the fact that I'm sitting here in Australia and I have certain rights and responsibilities that are fundamentally different to, let's say if there's someone listening from Germany, given they're such a privacy-conscious country, Mm -hmm. uh, and you get a different set even if we're online on the same service doing the same thing. Uh, That, uh, to me, is
0: still just a a, a very obscure concept. Well, and it's one of the things I've been paying attention to with the EU's GDPR is like, I want to see the EU prosecuting a non-EU country for GDPR or, or company for GDPR violations. Like... Have you, have you seen extra, it happen yet? No, with 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 a, with
1: a company that doesn't have a f- big footprint in the U, in the, the EU. Exactly.
0: I mean that's the that's the case that I that I've got in Google searches. Like it's something I pay attention to. I, I mean enforcement of GDPR. Period has been remarkably low. It's a difficult law to enforce, uh, but but uh, extraterritorial enforcement that's a whole other can of worms. See, I've got this uh, blog post in draft, which
1: I, I don't think is ever going to go live because it's just (laughs) going to upset too many people now normally i don't really care too much about upsetting people but um somewhere in here i I had a blog post in draft about sort of lessons from you know from gdpr and i can't find where it is now oh here we go maybe this is it um one of these ones in here was about uh how uh data protection authorities in different parts of the world are actually dealing with gdpr violations in, in other parts of the world and someone had forwarded me on, um, a message from, it was a, a Belgian, uh, DPA. And it, it was, I, I found quite interesting about it is it was sort of saying, uh, he was upset with uh, a company in the, in the US. Uh, here we go. Lessons from American data aggregator breach in a GDPR era. All right. You hear it here first because this one's probably never going to go live. Mm-hmm. But this is what the Belgian regulator said when this guy reported, uh, which, which American aggregator was it? Uh, the Apollo data breach. So I was in the Apollo data breach too because I used New Relic. <laughs> and New Relic used Apollo. My data was in there. So this guy goes to the Belgian DPA and he's like, I'm unhappy with the fact that this, uh, this American company lost my data. Uh, as a uh, Belgian data subject, I would like to exercise my rights here. So Belgian DPA says... It is not, and this is translated, it is not directly clear in which country Apollo is headquartered and if there is an office in Europe. In the latter case, then the privacy authority of that country is the lead in the story. In this case, it seems like the company is based in the United States, San Francisco. That would limit a process from Europe severely. And
0: uh, so, isn't that interesting? Because Europeans... Yeah. He's just flatly admitting, you know, okay, yeah, that's an American company. So, I don't think we're going to do anything here.
1: Well, what's, what's interesting is this regulator's gone on to say the purpose of a breach is in the first place, you change your password. So the company account can no longer be accessed with the old one. So they're basically gone. Uh,
0: we can't actually do anything, but you should change your password. Yeah. Well, and we'll push it. We're going to push it back on you, essentially. I I mean, I wouldn't want, you could call that blaming the victim. Well,
1: and I'll come back to that tournament Mark, because I hate it. Uh, yeah, <laughs> this guy good. goes on and he, he says, uh, This is the quote that I've embedded in this blog post, I'll probably never publish. So, even under GDPR, companies like Apollo still have freedom to do whatever with their personal information as they please. And then the, the blaming the victim bit, I mean, it's look, look, in a case like this, and having had myself in the Apollo data breach, yep. there is absolutely nothing you can do about it True. because I had no idea who they were. Now, I did agree to New Relic's terms and conditions, which I didn't read. Right. And neither did anybody can, else. Neither did anybody else. Um, but very often I, I hear that uh, that victim-blaming term around people's password choices. Yeah. So, yeah, every now and then I'll, I'll sort of see someone who who's had accounts taken over because of reused passwords, and I'll share it on Twitter, uh, a, a little bit less directly than this, but I'll sort of say, you know, look, here's why he you shouldn't reuse your password sort of thing. People will jump up and go, you're victim-blaming. It's like, well, that's that's because the victim has some blame.
0: That is a very if you leave um, like, your the door, your windows rolled down in your car, yeah, it was still a crime for someone to bra- you know take things from your car, but you did leave your windows rolled down.
1: That the problem is people very quickly pivot to, so you're saying she shouldn't have gone out wearing that. And it's like, no, no, no. So, no. like, whoa, 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 calm down. And, and the problem is, is that that victim-blaming term is, has got origins that are fundamentally different to the choices that people make when they create their passwords, sure. And I, I frankly hate the way that goes off the rails. But my my view of, of that is that we all get to make decisions about our risks, Mm-hmm. Uh, in terms of the way we, we act online uh, and we can all choose to reuse the same password, create a new one, write it in a notebook, use a password manager, whatever.
0: I mean, that that, that is your choice. Uh, at- yeah, the, I, the idea that you would argue in favor of poor quality passwords, you know, it, it's like effectively, I think you were the one who published that list. You talked about that list years ago, this 14 million passwords that pretty much guarantee you can be exploited. Don't use them. Uh, it's like you've left your windows rolled down. If you use these passwords,
1: I oh, know, but it's just the internet. People want to be angry. <laughs> well,
0: <laughs> I want to be angry. At that's someone. easy to do, but it won't <laughs> actually help anything. But you know, I, it does not pre- actually. Yeah, I, I do appreciate you thinking around that. It's like doing. There, they, this is non discriminatory. Anybody can be better at this. Uh, it Pretty was. Much. It was the Stratfor breach years ago that was my first have i been pwned which actually i think the breach predates yeah. have i been pwned and that's what made me finally get on a password manager binge so i think it's been the better part of 10 years on password managers and i've realized now it's it's such a reflex like i love that i don't know passwords i have no idea and I couldn't care less like it no, does not make left good it's just a whole other thing not to think about anymore it's like, there's this hurdle you have to get over. And I've admitted it's like, it's a, it's the first month is a struggle. The first year is effort. Mm. And after that, your life is better it's uh it's getting over that
1: hurdle and I think that the challenge that we always have is is trying to get people past that initial effort in order to to recoup the gains later on and it's it's not just recouping the gains in terms of well, you're less likely to have your things owned but it's like it is actually easier to log on to places yeah yeah I mean geez try lo- typing in even crappy passwords
0: on a on an iPhone it's a nightmare yeah yeah and I I love that I am I'm a last pass guy I know you're a one pass guy but that I go, th- you know, I go through accounts I haven't logged into in five years and delete them. Mm, yeah, right. Like that, that whole I'm reducing my surface area. I don't know how much data is actually deleted, but sort of. Just, now that I know that, it's like here's all my accounts. The, uh... let's let's sort by last used. You, you're, I think you're basically going through and
1: changing the is active column on your record on that service to zero.
0: I suspect yes. <laughs> Like all the data is still there. Yeah. It's just you can't see it anymore. <laughs> and that's a whole lot. You know, there's a whole other can of worms talking about like what Tim Berners-Lee is doing with solid and like can we get to a point where we are simply not giving people information about us that they may or may not ever give back or, or delete in any mm, way. Mm. Uh, th- that might be a whole other show, friend. Like that's a, that's an interesting conversation. Um, <laughs> but I appreciate your thoughts here. I just, you know, I think we're going to continue to see a group of experts helping in these major breaches, even I would say against our will, but in the common good. Mm.
1: Yeah, look, I, I, I hope so. I hope so. And, and maybe over time this will become more normal in the same way as law enforcement is able to be proactive in so many other parts mm-hmm. of, of the way they do their jobs. And yeah. perhaps this is just like so much of, of, of online life where, uh, where this is relatively new in, in the scheme of things and we're just going to take a while to get used to it.
0: Yeah, I think, it, I think you're right. Uh, and it, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how it evolves. I'm, uh, I am enthused. I do think overall we're getting better. The fact that we're talking about this, that it's all that much more visible. To me, speaks to this is what improvement looks like. Mm, mm, absolutely. But I've been accused of being an optimist at times. <laughs>
1: well, what other choice do we have in this current climate? You know, we've got to, <laughs> we've got to keep our
0: chins up. Without a doubt. Uh, Troy, thanks so much for spending some time with me. Really a pleasure to chat with you and, and kind of explore these ideas.
1: Yeah, cheers, mate. Thank you for having me again. It's been too long.
0: Yeah, yeah. And I, and I think we're going to have to bake a time to do, uh, 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 a home assistant chat, maybe on your channel. Maybe I'll hi- we'll find a way to that I can jump in on, the, on your YouTube stream and we can argue home assistant together. Well, hey, when you come visit, we'll we'll do that together. Here. I love that idea. That's fantastic. You know, that's definitely on the in the works. All right. Thanks for coming on, friend. Cheers, mate. Thank you. And we'll talk to you next time on Run As Radio.